I'm not clicking. Let's try that. Katafano, how are you? Are you ready? Are you switched on? You're going to need to be focused. I'm firing a lot at you this morning. First up, I want to acknowledge uh, my daughter-in-law, Ruby, who provided the inspiration for me to put together this message. That doesn't, however, mean that you can blame her if it's really bad. It's, <laughs> that's all on me. But today, you're going to learn what was the Queen's most valuable possession, what shoplifters prefer to steal, and why you should never do the gardening naked. <laughs> Got your attention yet? Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here. Would you encourage your people uh, this morning and would you strengthen our faith in you and your amazing word in Jesus' name. Let's go. First up, a little bit of my background for those of you uh, who don't know me. I'm a speaker for Creation Ministries International, which employs a lot of scientists. Now, I'm not formally trained as a scientist, but I use science a lot in my work and hobbies. My job has involved the maintenance of big aeroplanes, uh, specifically jet engines, as an aircraft engineer for 41 years. We like to say that without us, it's just a big glider. <laughs> Plus, I've done some time flying small ones as a hobby. The last time I flew in a light aircraft, some guy pushed me out. It was terrifying. <laughs> I don't believe God ever intended us to fly with no wings and no engine. Coincidentally, Ruby was involved in that episode as well. <laughs> Enough about me. Now, credit where credit is due. I need to acknowledge that a fair amount of the content uh, of this talk has come from the Creation Answers book. Um, this is Creation Ministry's most popular book, an absolute must-have for every believer, in my humble opinion. Talk to me afterwards if you want to get hold of a copy. So today, I want to pose the question, why Christianity? Have you ever been challenged along the lines of, why should I believe Christianity as opposed to any other religion or worldview? Others go further than that and say that it's arrogant and closed-minded to say that there is only one way to God and to heaven. I would suggest that they're asking the wrong question. The question is not if it's arrogant, but if it's true. A brief aside on objections to Christianity. Um, I think we can come up against at least three different scenarios. Firstly, some people use intellectual arguments as a smokescreen because they don't want to face up to the personal and moral questions that arise if we accept the Bible as true. For others, the intellectual questions are real and they've very likely never heard good arguments supporting the Bible. And a third group have possibly never considered the Christian faith at all. I think we need to, the wisdom to know which of these we're dealing with. So I think it's fair to say that we all face challenges to our faith and we need good answers. Firstly, to sustain our own faith. Jude 1.20 talks about building yourselves up in your most holy faith. There are far too many stories of people walking away from their faith unsatisfied and disillusioned after raising questions and being told, just have faith, just believe. But we also need to be able to respectfully defend our faith and show that believing in the God of the Bible is perfectly logical and reasonable to an open-minded inquirer. Jude 1.3, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Another challenge 
levelled at Christians is that we employ blind faith despite or against the evidence. Are we called to have faith? Absolutely. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please God. Belief in Jesus definitely involves steps of faith, but I don't believe we're called to a blind faith. I believe we're called to a solid faith based on experience, reason, history, logic, and evidence. So a question for you. Do you feel well equipped to defend your faith? Are you able to give good responses and compelling arguments in support of Christianity? If not, I hope to try and help. Now, please don't misunderstand me here. I am not suggesting that we try and argue people into the kingdom. I think that's probably the strategy with the lowest possible chance of success. But it's another thing entirely to respectfully say to someone, have you ever thought about? Have you ever considered? In fact, we are commanded to be ready with good answers supporting our faith. The Apostle Peter in the Bible tells us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How well prepared are you? Next, a disclaimer. By bringing this talk, I risk presenting myself as someone with an in-depth knowledge of the Bible who spends hours each day studying it and meditating on it. How I wish that were true. I see this talk more as one beggar showing another where to find food. And and also an acknowledgement. I don't want to downplay the work of the Holy Spirit in drawing people to Jesus. I don't believe anyone comes to him apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. But my work for Creation Ministries has convinced me of the need to recognise that Christian commitment and growth involves spirit and mind. Both are important. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, sorry, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Today I want to focus on the mind or the intellectual side of the issue and primarily on the Bible. So the guts of my whole presentation this morning is this that the truth of Christianity stands largely on the claim that the Bible is a message system from God to us. Say it again. The truth of Christianity stands largely on the claim that the Bible is a message system from God to us. So let's dive in. First up, the bad news. I don't sit in judgment here because I'm not a theologian by any stretch, but I believe that biblical literacy in the church is far short of where it needs to be if we're going to be effective in really making an impact on this planet. A light-hearted comparison. Look at how car manuals have changed and been dumbed down over the years. 50 years ago, a car owner's manual told us how to adjust the valve timing in the engine. Today, car owner's manuals tell us not to drink the battery acid. <laughs> I'm concerned that our practice of personal study and knowledge of the Bible may have followed a similar pattern. You may think I'm being a bit harsh here, but a recent nationwide survey in the USA was completed by the Barna Research Group, which determined that of all the born-again believers in America, a dismal 9% had a biblical worldview. 
That's not 9% of church attendees. That's 9% of born-again believers. Would the stats be any better for us? Many of the supposed tough questions about our faith can be answered easily if we know our Bible. The good news, I want to encourage you that in the Bible we possess something of enormous value that can transform individual lives, communities, cities, nations, ultimately this planet, if only we will recognise it for what it is. So what is it? I'm going to propose the following about the Bible. It is absolutely unique and stands apart from all other books on this planet. The science of textual criticism tells us that modern translations of the New Testament in particular are many more times reliable than any other ancient writings. It's a treasure of infinite value. During the Queen's coronation ceremony, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the moderator of the Church of Scotland presented her with a Bible, saying, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. It has supernatural origin. It's God's words to us. Dr. Chuck Missler was fond of describing the Bible as an integrated message system from outside our time domain. It is power. Jesus, the one with all power and authority in heaven and on earth in a verbal battle with Satan, quoted the Bible. Think about that. It is our manual for life, giving us everything needed to live well in this life and the next. A.J. Jones says it requires a staggering amount of pride to imagine that our opinions and actions should be based on our human reason and knowledge rather than the eternal truths of God's word. These points were summed up beautifully by a recent story of Bibles being smuggled into Laos. After handing out the Bibles, the delivery team reported One believer's eyes sparkled when he talked about God, his church, and the Bible he had just received. Thank you so much for this Bible, he said. I can tell you that this will be a light that will shine in my heart and will guide me to have a good relationship with God. The Bible is the word of God. If there is no Bible, I will not know his will. The Bible is the most important book in the world, and I cannot live without it. I'm so grateful to receive it today. I've been praying for this day to come for a long time now. Wow. Have you ever seen your Bible in that light? The other really important point that makes the Bible unique amongst religious writings is its claim to be a history book. Some skeptics are fond of proclaiming that the Bible is not a science textbook, the implication being that it is therefore unreliable. However, the Bible doesn't claim to be a science textbook, but it does claim to record the history of the universe from beginning right out into the future. The Bible is full of historical information, including timing. The great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, our Christian faith is based entirely upon history. It's quite unique because it's teaching which is based on history. Our Christian faith is entirely different to Buddhism, Hinduism, etc., It calls attention to facts. The Garden of Eden. Do you remember the history of the flood? That's a fact. That's history. Then God gave a new start. The Tower of Babel. Abraham. 
the facts about our Lord. As an example of the great emphasis on history in the Bible, the doctor and historian Luke records in great detail in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Luke goes to great lengths to place an event very firmly in a historical context. Now, the Bible is obviously a communication medium between God and people, but did you know it can also be used as a communication medium between people? A new pastor was visiting some of his congregation. At one house, it seemed obvious that someone was at home, but he got no answer after repeatedly knocking at the door. So he took out a card and wrote Revelation 3.20 on the back and stuck it in the door. When the offering was processed the following Sunday, he found that his card had been returned. Added to it was the reference Genesis 3.10. (laughs) Revelation 3.20 begins, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Genesis 3.10 reads, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid, for I was naked. So having proposed that the Bible is a historically true, authoritative message from God, you may rightly ask, why do you believe that? What evidence is there to support that? So what I'm going to do now is run through a tiny fraction of the supporting evidence. I'm going to skim over a range of topics that hopefully give us increased confidence that this book is in fact what it claims to be, the unique and powerful word of God to us. So much more could be said here, but following are just a few points. It's incredible unity. 66 different books penned by 40 different authors from 16 different walks of life over 1,600 years in different continents and different languages. Yet, it is internally consistent from beginning to end. There are constant themes that unfold throughout the whole book. It's impossible that this could have occurred by human planning. This may look like a child's crayon drawing, but it's a line chart that shows all the cross-references between the books of the Bible. The blue lines are cross-references from the Old Testament, and the red lines are cross-references from the New Testament. Over 2,800 cross-references. This powerfully demonstrates the interconnectedness between the books of the Bible and demonstrates the incredible unity of Scripture in a visual image. Its ability to endure. Despite determined campaigns to destroy it and predictions of its demise, the Bible remains and is available in far more languages than any other book. Voltaire, a philosopher, historian and free thinker, vehemently opposed the Christian faith. He predicted that in 100 years' time there would not be a single Bible remaining on earth. Within 50 years after his death, in an an ironic twist of providence, the very house in which he once lived and wrote was used by the Evangelical Society of Geneva as a storehouse for Bibles and Gospel tracts. (laughs) And the printing presses he used to print his irreverent works were used to print Bibles. Who says God doesn't have a sense of humour? It's popularity. 
that sales of the Bible were included in bestseller lists that would top the charts every year. The Bible is by far the, most, the, best, the world's best-selling book of all time. No other book, fact or fiction, comes anywhere near close. Most estimates place the number of Bibles printed each year at over 100 million. Here are some stats for the number of Bibles sold or given away. It's also the most shoplifted book. How ironic is that? It's historical accuracy. Various archaeologists speak of the amazing accuracy of the Bible as confirmed by archaeological finds, including some who were initially sceptical. More of these have been added all the time. Nelson Glick, a famous Jewish archaeologist, spoke of the almost incredibly accurate historical memory of the Bible, and particularly so when it is fortified by archaeological fact. William F. Albright, one of the great archaeologists, said, the excessive scepticism toward the Bible by important historical schools of the 18th and 19th centuries, certain phases of which still appear periodically, has been progressively discredited. Discovery after discovery has established the accuracy of innumerable details and has brought increased recognition to the value of the Bible as a source of history. Sir William Ramsey, regarded as one of the greatest archaeologists ever, was trained in mid-19th century German historical scepticism and so did not believe that the New Testament documents were historically reliable. However, his archaeological investigations drove him to see that his scepticism was unwarranted and he had a profound change of attitude. Speaking of Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, Ramsey said Luke is a historian of the first rank. He should be placed along with the greatest of historians. It's scientific accuracy. Some people claim that science has disproved the Bible. This arises either from a misuse of science or a misunderstanding uh, of what science is and its limitations. Dr. Taz Walker, who has a PhD in engineering and an honours degree in geology, states no one has ever found a conflict between the Bible and experimentation in operational science. The Bible makes reference to, amongst other things, the earth being round and suspended in space without support. The stars being countless. The hydrologic or water cycle. Sea currents. Living things reproducing after their own kind, the law of heredity. And the first and second laws of thermodynamics, as well as many other insights into health, hygiene, diet, physiology, and so on. It's prophetic accuracy. You will struggle to find a single accurate prophecy in other religious books, but the Bible contains many examples of specific accurate prophecy that have come to pass and that have been shown not to be written after the event. For example, the Old Testament contains hundreds of prophecies regarding one person, Jesus, 29 of which came true on a single day. Now, many of these events were beyond his control, humanly speaking. For example, the uh, time, place, and manner of his birth and death. The statistical probability of these coming to pass by chance is effectively zero. It's civilizing influence. The Bible is the basis of the English common law, the American Bill of Rights, and the great democracies, such as the UK, USA, Canada, Australia, 
and New Zealand. I don't believe it's a coincidence that many of these once great countries are in decline as they increasingly reject their biblical roots. The Bible has inspired the noblest of literature, art and music. And even today, animistic peoples are being delivered from fear and former cannibals in PNG and Fiji now live in peace because of the gospel. It's honesty. It's been said the Bible is not a book that man could write if he would or would write if he could. The Bible honours God, not man. Even the biblical heroes are shown in all their fallibility and sometimes, sometimes the enemies of God's people are praised. There are many other clear indications that the Bible was not written from a human perspective. It's life-transforming message. In San Francisco, a man once challenged Dr. Harry Ironside to a debate on agnosticism versus Christianity. Dr. Ironside agreed on one condition, that the agnostic first provide enough evidence that agnosticism was beneficial enough to defend. Dr. Ironside challenged the agnostic to bring to the debate one man whose life had been dominated by drink or crime and one woman who had been trapped in a degraded life and show that both of these people had been rescued from their lives of degradation through embracing the philosophy of agnosticism. Dr. Ironside undertook to bring 100 men and women to the debate who had been gloriously rescued through believing the gospel that the agnostic ridiculed. The sceptic withdrew his challenge to debate Dr. Ironside. The message of the Bible mends broken lives. In contrast, agnosticism and atheism, like all anti-God philosophies, destroy. Now some other evidence from outside the Bible that supports its divine authorship. Natural law, applied here to the origin of the universe and the origin of life. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that there is universal tendency for all matter-energy systems to run down. Without the input of intelligence and energy, even open systems tend to go from order to disorder, towards less energy, and from information to non-information. This runs counter to the idea of an eternal universe. If it was eternal, it would have run down by now to a state called heat death, where there is no usable energy left. Therefore, the universe is not eternal, but had a beginning, as the Bible describes. This also runs counter to the idea of the spontaneous generation of life. In the real world, all systems go the other way, from order down to chaos. Changes in living things. The theory of evolution requires us to believe that living things have become more ordered and upwardly complex without any input from a designer or a creator. All observational science shows us the opposite and supports the creation account in the Bible. Observed changes in living things head in the wrong direction to what evolution requires and predicts, but align beautifully with the fall as described in Genesis chapter 3. One cause of change in living things is natural selection. The clue is in the name, selection, which accurately describes that it only selects from existing genetic information. For example, say we had an isolated population of dogs with the genes for short and long hair. They can produce offspring with either short 
medium, or long hair. If an ice age occurs, all the short and medium-haired dogs may die out, and only the long ones, long-haired ones survive. This is natural selection in action. But note two things. Firstly, the dog population has changed, but they're still dogs. They haven't changed into anything else. Secondly, we have lost the genetic information for short and medium-haired dogs from this population permanently, unless they mix with other dogs from a different population. Natural selection is real, but it's completely incapable of creating the vast amounts of new information that are required for upward changes and increased functionality in living things. Natural selection doesn't help with increasing complexity. It reduces genetic content rather than increasing it. Natural selection explains the survival of the fittest, but not the arrival of the fittest. It's a culling force, not a creative force. The other main cause of change in living things is mutations, genetic copying mistakes, which overwhelmingly corrupt or destroy genetic information. We know from information theory and a huge number of experiments and observations that mutations are also incapable of creating the vast amounts of new information that are required for increasing complexity in living things. The Bible indicates that at the very beginning, Adam and Eve were genetically pure. After they disobeyed God and the whole of creation was cursed, mutations began to increase to the point where now around 100 additional new mutations are added per person every generation. The changes we see in living things are completely consistent with the creation curse story revealed in the Bible, a world that is, was initially perfect but is now broken. Just to be very clear here, mutations are not good. They're responsible for thousands of inherited diseases and cancer. So if we inherit 100 new mutations every generation, as well as the existing ones already present in our family line, we're not improving. We're actually going downhill. The modern discovery of genetic entropy, that we are carrying an ever-increasing number of mutations, is exactly the opposite of the evolutionary story, but aligns perfectly with the Bible which tells us that our genetic golden age was in the past, at the beginning. We are now degrading or going downhill, and we see this as the number of mutations increases in each successive generation. So if you're a fan of shows like X-Men, I'm sorry to break it to you, mutations don't give us superpowers. They give us diseases. <laughs> Time just broken. Next, fossils. There are many aspects of the fossil record that support the biblical account, but I want to focus on just one, transitional fossils. Transitional fossils are fossils that should show the supposed um, transition from one species to another or bridge the gap between different species. They're an essential component of the evolutionary story. But according to the Bible, God created all the different kinds of animals fully formed. Note that if living things have changed from one species to another via small changes over millions of years, we would expect to find evidence of a huge number of these evolutionary transitions, millions or billions of them, given the massive variety of life on Earth today. Decades of feverish search for these transitional fossils has not revealed what was expected, but instead we've uncovered a handful of examples that are all disputable for various reasons. This was a major problem for Charles Darwin. He couldn't name any transitional forms in his origin of species. 
he understood how important they were to validating his theory, and he devoted a whole chapter to lamenting the imperfection of the geological record, in which he wrote, why then is not every geological formation and every stratum full of such intermediate links? And nothing much has changed since then, except the number of fossils. We can't argue a lack of fossil evidence anymore. We've now found millions of them. Stephen Jay Gould, a more recent evolutionist, said, all paleontologists know that the fossil record contains precious little in the way of intermediate forms. Transitions between major groups are characteristically abrupt. The late Dr. Colin Patterson, senior paleontologist of the British Museum of Natural History, wrote a book, Evolution. In reply to a questioner, who asked why he had not included any pictures of transitional forms, he wrote, I fully agree with your comments about the lack of direct illustration of evolutionary transitions in my book. If I knew of any, fossil or living, I would certainly have included them. I will lay it on the line. There is not one such fossil for which one could make a watertight argument. Next, young earth and universe. It's important to note that it's impossible to directly measure any time frame back beyond one's own lifetime. All scientific methods arguing for a young or an old Earth inevitably involve assumptions which are driven by our worldview. But in contrast to the bombardment of millions of years that we hear from many different directions, you may be surprised to hear that the majority of the scientific evidence supports the biblical time frame of around 6,000 years since the creation of the Earth and the universe. Just one of the many evidences supporting a young Earth is carbon-14, sorry, carbon dating. Carbon dating is one method of radiometric dating applied to organic material, and it measures the decay of carbon-14 to nitrogen-14. Carbon-14 decays very fast, and there should be no measurable carbon-14 remaining in a sample after about 60,000 years at a maximum but we keep finding carbon-14 in samples that are supposedly millions of years old. Regarding carbon-14 dating, Dr. Robert Carter said, now that our machines have gotten sensitive enough, we have found no carbon sources on Earth that contain zero carbon-14. This includes coal, oil, natural gas, amber, diamonds, and dinosaur bones. All forms of carbon everywhere in the fossil record have it. The half-life of carbon-14 is such that it simply cannot last millions of years, yet it's found at measurable levels in all forms of carbon throughout the fossil record. Thus, according to this area of operational science, the Earth is young. Next, cultural anthropological support for the Bible. The biblical account of a global flood is supported by hundreds of traditions from indigenous peoples all over the world. In fact, we find over 500 flood legends. They show amazing similarity with the Genesis flood, though being somewhat distorted by time and retelling. Also widespread globally are accounts of a time of language dispersal consistent with the Babel account in the Bible. This was where God supernaturally introduced new languages which caused forced dispersal of people groups. This was the origin of the different people groups we now see spread across the planet. Linguistic and biological discoveries have revealed a genetic closeness among all races of people, consistent with a recent origin from a small population source. 
If you compare the DNA of any two people in the world, the difference will typically be just 0.2%. Again, consistent with the Bible, but opposed to evolutionary predictions. Now, a bit of biology. I love this stuff. Molecular studies suggest that relatively recently, one woman provided the mitochondrial DNA which gave rise to the genetic sequences in all people alive today. Similarly, that the male Y chromosome can be traced back to a single male source. So genetics is showing us that all humans can be traced back to one male and one female. Interesting. While not directly contradictory to evolutionary modelling, this was not a direct prediction of it, but it's completely consistent with the biblical model. Design and complexity in nature. Many biological systems are known which exhibit incredible coordinated complexity such that any simpler system would be a disadvantage to an organism or wouldn't work at all. This is known as irreducible complexity. This is a powerful refutation of the idea of living things gradually evolving uphill from simple to complex. A few examples. The blood clotting mechanism. The bacterial flagellum used for propulsion in cells. The photosynthetic apparatus allowing plants to convert light into energy. The pupil transformation of caterpillars to butterflies. And there are many more. Finally, the greatest evidence of design and complexity anywhere. The incredible human brain. The most complex and orderly arrangement of matter in the universe, according to Isaac Asimov. Its capacity for creativity and abstract reasoning is far beyond that which is required just for survival. A study by Stanford University researchers using new imaging techniques announced stunning results. Stephen Smith, the study's senior author, is cited as complaining that they'd found that the brain's complexity is beyond anything they'd imagined, almost to the point of being beyond belief. In our cerebral cortex alone, it turns out that there are over 125 trillion synapses, or neuron connections. That's about how many stars fill 1,500 Milky Way galaxies. Each one of those connections also functions like a microprocessor and contains about 1,000 molecular switches of its own. The conclusion? A single human brain has more switches than all the computers and routers and internet connections on Earth. There's no way this sort of complexity could have come about by chance or natural processes. The origin of the vast amounts of coded biological data and the extremely complex systems and processes that handle it speak powerfully of a super-intelligent designer and creator. The God of the Bible is the only reasonable candidate. So to close, we've looked at a tiny fraction of the topics that could be covered. I hope you can see that the evidence in favour of the divine authorship of the Bible and the existence of the creator God of the Bible is absolutely overwhelming, being provided by every scientific discipline as well as human history and exploration. There is so much more evidence available supporting the Bible as God's word to us, so much so that an unbiased observer in possession of the relevant information would not even entertain any other conclusion. Romans 1.20 puts it really well. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. As always, my hope is that you've been inspired to trust God's word fully. There are so many riches to be discovered. Another question for you. Do you want to be blessed? What does God's word say about being blessed? Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Luke 11, 27-28. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Returning again to the questions I posed at the beginning. To the original question, why Christianity? I would answer, because of the Bible. And to the question, what is the Bible? The only answer that matches the evidence and makes any sense is that it is God's words to us. An anonymous author has written of the Bible. It contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the fate of sinners, and the happiness of believers. It is a light to direct you food to nourish you and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveller's road map, the pilot's compass, the soldier's weapon and the player's game plan. It is a mine of incredible wealth and a river of genuine joy. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true and its decisions are immutable. Christ is its grand subject, your good, its design and the glory of God, its end. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, Practice it to be spiritually healthy. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. Let it fill your memory, rule your heart, and guide your steps. It is given to you in life, will be opened at the judgment, and be remembered forever. I really want to encourage you to make reading your Bible a regular part of your day. It's a priceless treasure that we are so privileged to have easy access to. This isn't a message on how to read your Bible. Anna gave that to us earlier in the year. Revisit that if you need to. But I really hope you now have a more solid belief that the Bible is exactly what it claims to be. God's words to us. Thank you so much for listening.